This is the One Verse Podcast, where we liberate scripture from religion, one verse at a time. Well, hello there, it's Jeremy Myers, and you are listening to the One Verse Podcast. The following episode is an excerpt taken from one of the lessons in my online course, The Gospel Dictionary. In case you aren't aware of it, I have an online discipleship group, and one of the main things I do in this discipleship group is teach online courses. I think there's about 10 courses available now for people in the discipleship group, and one of them, one of these courses, is The Gospel Dictionary. The Gospel Dictionary looks at 52 keywords of the gospel, When it's all said and done, there might be a few additional words as well, and contains, I don't know, so far, about 100 hours of teaching, and I'm only about halfway through. So um, uh, this this podcast episode is an excerpt from one, just one of the lessons in that dictionary course. Now, if you want to take that course, you have to be part of the discipleship group, and you can do that by going to redeeminggod.com slash join. Learn uh, more there and uh, join up there. So I, I look forward to, to seeing you there inside the discipleship group and uh, taking this course. Uh, this course will eventually become a book, probably several books, uh, but that's several years away from the time of me recording this. I got to finish the course itself and then edit and process. And So anyway, uh, if, if you're anxious, though, to read everything and get access to everything, the only way to do that is inside the Discipleship Group, okay? They have PDF downloads, MP3 downloads, and you can uh, interact with me there as well about the content of these lessons. So anyway, thank you so much for listening to this podcast. I really, really appreciate it, telling other people about it as well. That's how uh, word spreads about this. If you find the content of these podcasts helpful, Uh, and you're sharing it with others. Thank you so, so much. All right, with all of that in mind, let's get into the content of today's podcast study. Okay, you know what? Let's look at one last sort of section, another section out of Paul, which is a very critical section, and it is 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Lots of people, when they are trying to define uh, the gospel, they immediately go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 because they think that this is where Paul defines, lists the central gospel truths, okay? I cannot tell you how often I've had discussions or even debates about people about what is the gospel, and they say, well, that's easy. It's clearly defined in 1 Corinthians 15. Okay, and usually the discussion goes like this, you know, they, they go and they say, well, uh, in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul defines the gospel, 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 2, he says, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel, which I preached to you, which also you received, and in which you stand, by which also you are saved. If you hold fast that word which I preached to you, uh, unless you believed in vain. Okay? <laughs> Uh, and then he goes on to list some essential truths. Now, uh, so Paul does indeed write that he is going to reiterate to them the gospel he preached when he was among them, okay, in which they had received and in which they believed, and in which they still stand. 
And all of that is very, very similar to language that Paul used elsewhere, such as the language he used in Galatians chapter 2. However, we have some problems immediately introduced here. And it's this concept in 15.2 where he says, by which also you are saved. Uh, if, <laughs> uh-oh, you hold fast. Okay, you know I believe in eternal security. And many, many, many people use this verse to say, see, if you do not hold fast to the gospel, you will lose your salvation. Eternal security is a lie. Ah, well, if you've been listening to my teaching, my podcast, taking any of my courses, reading my books on the gospel, then you know the proper answer to this, don't you? The word saved in the Bible, what does it mean? I argue, I believe, I teach. You can do a study on this yourself and see it for yourself. The word saved in the Bible does not mean eternal life. Forgiveness of sins, escape of hell, go to heaven when you die, that sort of a concept. Okay? I would never define it that way, but it doesn't mean eternal life. Saved always means deliverance. And it usually refers to some sort of deliverance from temporal consequences, negative experiences in this life, saved from drowning, saved from sickness, saved from physical death by enemies, um, even saved from negative experiences at the judgment seat of Christ, those sorts of things. Deliverance. It doesn't mean eternal life, okay? And so what you have to do is study the word saved in context. Whenever you see the word saved or salvation, substitute in the word delivered, deliverance, something like that. Then look in the context to see what kind of deliverance is in view. And you can do the same thing. Uh, we did it previously when we were looking at Romans. Uh, in Romans, the word saved means deliverance from wrath. And wrath doesn't mean hell. Wrath means the damaging and destructive consequences of sin in our lives. So Romans is about how to be delivered from the damaging and destructive consequences of sin in our lives. That's how the word saved is used in Romans. 1 Corinthians, Paul has a slightly different emphasis on the word saved. Uh, you could go back, for example, in 118, especially we see it in 315 and 55, elsewhere 619. The word saved in 1 Corinthians uh, primarily has the judgment seat of Christ in view. When we stand before the judgment seat of Christ, it's not, God is not there. Jesus is not there saying, who has eternal life? No, if you're at the judgment seat of Christ, you have eternal life. It's a done deal. It's guaranteed at that point. The judgment seat of Christ is all about rewards and uh, rewards for faithful living on this life. And Paul in 1 Corinthians, writing in 1 Corinthians, wants to make sure that the first Corinthians, the readers of 1 Corinthians have a positive experience, that they get uh, rewards, that they get gold, jewels, and precious stones at the judgment seat of Christ rather than wood, hay, and stubble, which is burned up. Okay? It's not going, talking there about going to heaven or going to hell. It's talking there about not having anything to show for your life when you stand before Jesus in heaven at the judgment seat of Christ. And that's what 1 Corinthians is all about. So that's what Paul is talking about here in 1 Corinthians 15 as well. When he says about being saved, if you believed, okay, he's not talking about eternal life. He's talking about how to receive a positive experience at the judgment seat of Christ. Okay, so that is what Paul is talking about here. It's not about eternal life. And it is about eternal life. Then Paul is saying eternal life can be lost. So we know that's not true from many, many other biblical texts. So we come up with this, 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 this explanation, which makes a whole lot more sense in context. 
Okay, so uh, moving on though, even aside from all of that, lots of people still want to use 1 Corinthians 15 as a central passage. These are the central truths of the gospel. We've already seen the gospel is every truth related to the person and work of Jesus Christ, okay? So why limit it to these few? Well, as we're already seeing, and remember, if the gospel is every truth related to the person and work of Jesus Christ, what that means is you can uh, pick truths, you can customize your gospel presentation to teach various things to various people, depending on their questions, issues, and circumstances. And that's what Paul is doing here. All right. Uh, in 1 Corinthians 15, the Corinthian Christians have stopped believing or challenging. There's certain teachers there saying that Jesus Christ didn't actually rise from the dead. His resurrection was only physical. And so we can expect, and this is exactly what Paul does, to go on and challenge that belief with various gospel truths which prove that Jesus did rise from the dead. Now, is the truth that Jesus rose from the dead a gospel truth? Of course it is. Is it important to believe, helpful to believe? Absolutely. In fact, I'm not sure that anyone can believe in Jesus for eternal life unless they understand the resurrection of Jesus or believe that Jesus rose from the dead. It's a central, a different point. I cover that in great detail in my online course, The Gospel According to Scripture. I'm not going to belabor the point here. The point is, lots of people say, this is the gospel definition. Here are the three truths or four truths or five truths that, that make up the gospel. And it's only these truths. Well, what are those truths? Well, um, we see in verses 3 and 4 what these, these what people say. Verses 3 and 4 contain the key truths of the gospel. And they are these. Christ died for our sins. He was buried. And he rose again from the dead. Paul writes, For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to the Scriptures. So, lots of people say these are the three essential truths, central truths of the gospel. Whenever you share the gospel, these are the truths you must always share. If someone wants to have eternal life, someone wants to be saved, as we saw there in verse 2. Uh, these are the truths you must believe. Christ died for our sins, he was buried, and he rose again from the dead. Uh, some people add a fourth element, sort of as a subset of number one, Christ died for our sins. See, he mentioned sins, so you also have to believe you're a sinner. Okay, fine. Four truths now. Christ died uh, for our sins, therefore we're sinners. He was buried, and three, he uh, rose again, for, or four, he rose again from the dead. Okay, fine. So, uh, and we now have four truths. Uh, but <laughs> we've got some serious problems with this, don't we? For example, I challenge you to find one person in Christianity who does not believe those four truths, or three truths, however many that you want to count. All right, sure, there might be a few liberal pastor scholars who deny that we're sinners. Well, we're not really sinners, we just have a sickness, or whatever it is they're going to say. Okay, fine. Uh, some liberal pastors and scholars will deny that we're sinners. But really, I mean, most evangelical conservative, in fact, most, most people in general recognize that we're sinners. Okay? So, um, who doesn't believe that Christ died for our sins, he was buried, and rose again from the dead? You know, look, even Mormons and Jehovah Witnesses believe those things. Right? Find yourself a Mormon or Jehovah Witness that does not believe Jesus died for our sins, was buried, and rose again from the dead. I challenge you to find one. Okay? Uh, there is very little in those three or four things that separate Christianity, evangelical Christianity, from lots of the cults that are out there. there there's nothing here to separate orthodoxy from unorthodoxy. Nothing here to separate true Christianity from cultic Christianity. Okay, let, let me put this another way. Um, what if someone believed they're a sinner? They believed that Jesus died on the cross, 
for their sins, they believed that Jesus was buried, and believed that three days later he rose again from the dead. And they believed all this is in accordance with Scripture. They could point to chapter and verse for all those truths. Okay, But at the same time, they believed that Jesus wasn't really God. He's just a human. Okay, He wasn't born of a virgin. Um, and he sinned just like the rest of us. He wasn't sinless. Well, look, they believe these three or four things Paul mentions here. But have they believed the gospel? I would say no. They believe some truths of the gospel, but they have not believed other truths of the gospel, very important truths of the gospel. Okay, but in the context here, Paul doesn't mention any of those truths I just mentioned. Okay, he doesn't mention the sinlessness of Jesus, the virgin birth of Jesus, the deity of Jesus. He doesn't mention those, but those are important to the gospel, aren't they? Uh, furthermore, it would be entirely possible to believe all the truths mentioned in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 and 4, but also believe that one has to perform lots of good works in order to receive eternal life, wouldn't it? Does Paul mention anywhere in the context here justification by faith alone in Jesus Christ alone? He doesn't. It's nowhere in the context. Okay, so it's possible for a person to believe all these truths mentioned here and yet not have eternal life. Just like uh, the second shocking truth I mentioned at the beginning of this lesson, this gospel dictionary lesson. Anyway, I've had many debates, discussions, talks through email and in person with pastors and theologians who say, 1 Corinthians 15 is the definition of the gospel. And I bring up this point and they're like, well, okay. So, uh, you know, 1 Corinthians 15 doesn't mention all the gospel truths. And so now they start to bring in passages from Galatians 2 and Romans, some of these we've looked at previously in this entry on the word gospel in the gospel dictionary. And, um, you know, pretty soon now, as soon as people start to go outside of 1 Corinthians 15 to add elements to the gospel, look, there's no stopping. Uh, th there's no stopping which text you can add or which text you're going to leave out. So some people, some believers, you know, some Christians and authors and pastors start to add elements about the deity of Jesus. Fine, that's a gospel truth. Necessity of justification by faith, fine, that's a gospel truth. Um, you know, his atonement, okay, um, that's a gospel truth of sorts. Look at the, listen to the gospel dictionary entry on atonement. Uh, you know, his virgin birth, you know, whatever gospel truths that they think are necessary. But look, as soon as you start going to other texts to add truths to the essential gospel truths, you are now no longer able to point to a single text in Scripture which clearly defines all the gospel truths. 1 Corinthians 15 doesn't have it. And you ultimately can have to conclude what I have argued in this entry on the gospel, in this lesson on the gospel, and which I argue at length in my online course, The Gospel According to Scripture, which will eventually be a book, that basically every truth in the Bible is gospel truth. The gospel is every truth related to the person and work of Jesus Christ. Look, even here in the context, okay, forget all these other passages, even here in the context, lots of pastors and scholars want to stop at the end of verse uh, 4 um, and say, that's the gospel. But Paul didn't stop there. That's not even at the end of his sentence. In verses 5 through 8, he goes on to list many, many other gospel truths. He says, and that he was seen by Cephas, then by the twelve. After that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remained to the present, but some have fallen asleep. After that, he was seen by James, and then by the apostles. And last of all, he was seen by me as one born out of due time. So look, 
Even if we say 1 Corinthians 15, this contains the essential truths that most person must believe if they're going to believe the gospel, you can't stop at verse 4. You got to go all the way through verse 8. And I challenge you to find one gospel tract, one gospel preacher, one evangelistic message that includes all of these other truths from verses 5 through 8. The point is this. I'm be- Okay, I'm beating a dead horse here. What is the gospel? Look, 1 Corinthians 15 contains many gospel truths, many good gospel truths. But it also contains several truths that almost nobody would include in their gospel presentation. And yet they are gospel truths, Paul himself says so. And yet, at the same time, 1 Corinthians 15 is leaving out many gospel truths that must be included, such as the sinlessness of Jesus, the virgin birth of Jesus, the deity of Jesus, and the fact that Jesus gives eternal life to those who believe in him for it. Okay? And for those truths, we need to go to other places in the gospel. So, ultimately, what is the gospel? It's the same thing I've been saying all along in this lesson on the gospel. The gospel is every truth related to the person and work of Jesus Christ. It contains truths for believers and unbelievers alike. It contains truths about how to live our life as a follower of Jesus. It also contains truths about how to receive eternal life from Jesus. And here in this letter to the Corinthians, it contains truths about how to, how to have a positive experience at the judgment seat of Christ, at the Bema. Um, uh, in Romans, it contains truths about how to avoid the devastating and destructive consequences of sin in our lives. Okay? Um, while, while it's helpful to, to share truths of 1 Corinthians 15 with unbelievers, in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul is writing to believers, saying, look, believe in the resurrection of Jesus. It's so important. Okay? If Jesus didn't die, our faith is in vain. We're yet in our sins. Okay? To be spiritually and healthy, strong, when we stand before the judgment seat of Christ, Paul says, here's what you must believe, here's how you must behave. Yes, the gospel also contains truths about our behavior. So 1 Corinthians 15, no, it does not contain the entire gospel. It contains many important truths of the gospel, but uh, it doesn't contain the entire gospel. It doesn't even contain truths about how to receive eternal life. Okay? Eternal life is not anywhere in view in the context. Uh, eternal life is assumed. Paul assumes that Corinthian Christians have eternal life, and he's calling them to live and believe and act in a certain way as a result. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul is defending the resurrection by showing that Jesus was raised, believers will be raised also, and that has great impact on how we live now, which will have impact on what happens to us at the judgment seat of Christ. Okay, so what is the gospel? Look, it can be easily proved from Scripture. The gospel is more than faith alone and Jesus Christ alone. It's more than how to receive eternal life. Um, the gospel, it, 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 it's, 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 it's a, a multifaceted uh, truth about all the truths related to the person and work of Jesus Christ. It includes elements about the kingdom of God on earth. It includes facts about justification, sanctification, glorification, security and eternal life, satisfaction, contentment here on earth, how to avoid the devastating, destructive consequences of sin in our lives. The gospel includes all of that and a whole lot more. Okay? So, uh, what is the gospel? The gospel, the good news in Scripture, is that uh, through Jesus Christ, God has done everything that needs doing as far as eternal life is concerned. The gospel is good news for everybody, whether Jew or Gentile, believer or unbeliever, regarding the benefits and blessings that come from believing in Jesus and living like Jesus, following Jesus, both now and for all eternity. 
Okay, the gospel is the multifaceted message uh, about Jesus Christ. It contains everything related to his person and his work, including the events before, during, and after his resurrection, both during our lives now and uh, into the new heavens and new earth and to all eternity. Look, do you believe the gospel? <laughs> I hope you not only believe in Jesus for eternal life, because that's a gospel truth, but I also hope you believe all of the other gospel truths the Bible contains about how to live your life now and what that means for eternity and your relationship with other people in your relationship with God. And I also hope you recognize you don't know and believe most of the gospel truths that are there, that are in existence. And so that inspires us, encourages us to study more, learn more, live more, experience more, because the more of the gospel we learn, the more of the gospel we believe, then the more of the gospel we live, and the more of Jesus we experience, the more of the kingdom of God we experience in our life now and for all eternity. That is the gospel. So important that we understand this, and I hope that this Gospel Dictionary course is helping you, and especially this lesson on the Gospel. If you want to learn more about the Gospel, what it means, and especially how it relates to eternal life, and uh, whether or not we can go sin all we want, and grace, and all these sorts of things, please, if you haven't taken my course, The Gospel According to Scripture, just go to redeeminggod.com. If you're a member there, just start taking the course. It's free for you. If you're not a member, you can join me. Just visit me at redeeminggod.com slash join. You can start taking all of my courses, thousands of dollars of courses there, and I'm adding more all the time, for just $9 a month. If you want to save a little bit of money, you can get them for $89 a year. And uh, I hope hope this lesson has been proved helpful and beneficial to you in your understanding of the Gospel. I can't wait to see you in the rest of this Gospel Dictionary. We're going to be looking at grace next, another important term of the Gospel. And please, consider taking the Gospel According to Scripture online course as well. Thank you so much. We'll see you next time when we look at the word grace. So that's going to do it for today's podcast study. I hope you found this study helpful and beneficial in not only understanding a key word about the Gospel, related to the Gospel in Scripture, Uh, but also help bringing you greater and deeper understanding of a particular Bible verse uh, from Scripture. And of course, it's not just about gaining knowledge of the Scripture, but also applying it to our lives so that we can live in light of the gospel with God and with others, and also bringing this light to the world. Just as a reminder, this podcast study was an excerpt from my Gospel Dictionary online course. This course looks at 52 keywords of the gospel and hundreds and hundreds of Bible passages about the the gospel. And uh, it is available. The only way to take this course is by joining my online discipleship group. You can learn more and join by visiting redeeminggod.com slash join. You not only get access to this online course, the Gospel Dictionary, but all of my other courses as well. We're thousands of dollars. There's hundreds of hours of teaching, and I'm adding more all the time. So anyway, if you would like to learn in this format through audio, uh, you can join there. There's PDF downloads, book downloads, free eBooks, even get access to my private Facebook group. You can contact me by email and so many other benefits as well. Uh, just by joining up, I'm going to send you a free audio book on prayer. So anyway, to learn more and join me there, just go to redeeminggod.com slash join. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast episode today, and I look forward to seeing you in the next episode as well. Thank you so much. Talk to you later. Bye.